Hello, my name is Mark Searby and I'm a film critic, broadcaster and author of Al Pacino, The Movies Behind the Man. Thanks for clicking play on episode 9 of All About Al, the Pacino podcast. As you're aware, we do celebrate the best work of Al Pacino on this podcast. And there is a heck of a lot of great work that he's done through the decades. But there have been a few stinkers in there too. Much like any actor who's been working for any amount of time, there will be a film or 10 that are not very good. And with that in mind, this podcast takes a look at one of the poorer received films of Al Pacino's career, Righteous Kill. This is a film that came with great fanfare as it was re-teaming Al Pacino with his good friend Robert De Niro on screen together and they would both be playing cops. It's the story of two veteran New York cops who are on the verge of retirement. Their last job together sees them on the trail of a vigilante serial killer who they thought they had put away years before. Sounds like the perfect story to reunite Pacino and De Niro. But when the film was released, it received negative reviews and performed poorly at the box office. So bad did it do in theatres that it never made its budget back. Imagine that, a film starring Robert De Niro and Al Pacino not making its budget back. That's just shocking. For this episode, I asked fellow film critic Blake Howard to join me in looking at what went right and wrong with Righteous Kill. Blake is from Australia and has numerous podcasts running under his One Heat Minute Productions banner, including podcasts about films such as Master and Commander, Midnight Run, and Miami Vice, the movie. However, Blake is probably best known for his long-running podcast series, One Heat Minute, where he broke down every single minute of the Michael Mann crime film into each podcast episode. So successful has One Heat Minute been, that Blake actually got to interview Michael Mann for the podcast. It's a huge series, and I was lucky enough to guest on it a couple of times. So to repay the favour, I thought I would ask Blake to come on my podcast to talk about De Niro and Pacino teaming up for a second time after the masterpiece that is Heat. So here it is, All About Al, the Pacino podcast, episode 9, with film critic Blake Howard on Righteous Kill. Thanks for doing it, man. It's greatly appreciated. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm very grateful to return the favor. Thank you for being a part of the One Heat Minute journey all so long ago. Oh, it's not a problem. But I have to ask you the question is, do you hate me? Because you must have no. got this. Well, that's a, well, hang on. Not at all. Hang on. You must what? have got this email from me and thought, here we go. Mark wants to talk about heat on the Al Pacino podcast. Of course, of course. And, you know, you're the expert on this. And then you read the email and you go, Oh, he wants to talk about righteous kill. No, no, I don't hate you. In fact, it was the absolute opposite, may I say. And I was just talking to a friend about this the other day. It was like, I would love to come on, you know, because you, I think, can appreciate now doing your own show. Yeah. How much you want to be able to have great people on your shows and you also want to reciprocate. And a lot of folks sometimes just go, oh, I won't ask Blake because I know he's super busy, but I'm like, no, I, I definitely like anyone who has been on my show who has a podcast. I want to be on their show. 
The only request that I ask a lot of the time is, could we talk about something else? Because I have never spoken about anything as much or thought about what I was going to say or been enriched by people like you talking about any other subject more than heat. Never. Not ever. And in every episode that we do of Miami Nice or any of our shows, when it comes back to heat, people want to hear me talk. They want to, you're like, you're the heat guy. Like, give us your heat wisdom live. What are you feeling? And with the greatest respect, I'm like, it's very rare that I'm like, I don't know what else. Like, I don't know what else you want me to say about it. Like, I, like a hundred, there's like 150 hours of me talking about this movie. I'm like, aren't you as sick of it as me? Um, and I, and, and I say that with love. So when you said, righteous kill, I'm like, oh, great. Something new. And particularly, and I'll confess you, I've never seen it until really? I'd never, I avoided it at all costs. Oh, okay. I was like, I can't watch I, I can't watch it. I've heard it's bad. I really don't want to have a bad taste in my mouth. I previously only had two movies where these guys are in it. The third was The Irishman. I'm like, woohoo. One, two, three. Godfather Part Two, Stone Cold <laughs> Masterpiece. Heat, my favorite movie of all time. Also, undeniable, canonical masterpiece. Both of them, just different generationally. The Irishman, spectacular movie, beautiful, sprawling, wonderful, epic. And um, Righteous Kill. None of those superlatives apply. <laughs> Let me pull you back down to earth very quickly then. And uh, obviously now, now, you, now you've seen it and you've ignored it for all of these years. Yeah. What, what was your first take after it finished? I thought because I knew I was going to be talking to you and focusing on Al, I was really trying to dial in on Al. Hmm. Um, and I think he's doing really good work. For the most part, I think he's the strongest element in the entire film. I think De Niro is being puppeted in this really clunkily over, like, it's really thinking that the audience is dopey. Yeah. And I would have loved just a shade more subtlety because rather than Pacino, which was kind of a relief, Pacino's usually the bigger character and De Niro gets to play the smaller character in this one, they're really like trying to cram De Niro into this really ham-fisted large over the top performance. And when they just let him cook, you know, that phrase that the kids say, just let him cook. When they let him cook, the movie just has these fleeting like blasts where you watch it and you go, Oh, what was that? Oh, it's just these guys, the best fucking actors who've ever lived doing their thing. Wow. And then the direction is just clunky. And like in a movie where most of it, if you ever say in a movie, you're like, you know what? Donnie Wahlberg, almost as good as De Niro in this movie. It's a bad movie. Like it's bad. <laughs> and so um, I just didn't like, I, I, I like some of the devices, but I just didn't like the direction. It felt, you know, Carla Gugino is a performer who I think is deeply underrated and is yeah. terrific in so many things. Just weird. Like, you know, this is a movie about people who have complicated sexual relationships to relieve them from really dark shit that they see at their work every day. And it, there's no kind of before the devil knows you're dead, Sidney Lumet, sensational kind of Philip Seymour Hoffman, Marissa Tomei relationship. It's this kind of like objectified Carlo Gugino, like getting shagged from off screen by someone else. And you're like, what the hell is this? Like, what is going on? And so 
yeah, my preliminary response was like, you know, you never have to like a whole movie. I was really genuinely impressed by the work that Pacino was doing because it was very measured. Um, and even in his big moments, extreme, like he's taking so much heat off the ball, you know, like that, you know, he's, you know, in Australian or British parlance, it's like bowling a wrong and, or just like bowling a real slow, like a slow delivery after just murderous pace, he's taken pace off the ball. And sometimes that just pace allows him to be really deliberate. And so in some respects, I really enjoyed parts of this movie, but as a whole cohesively stitched together. It's a, it's a, it's an odd duck. The narration's dopey. Yeah. Dialogue's dopey. The nicknames for each other are dopey. Yeah. Like sometimes at some point they say the real names and I'm like, who are they talking about? Like, I don't, you, you don't even feel like you know who the people are. And so, yeah, it's, um, but I'm really grateful to see something new. And the thing with Righteous Killers, and I agree with you about Pacino in this, is that he actually steals the first half of the movie because he's, he's cooking in that first half. He he's is. He's awesome. hooting and hollering. He's joking about. And there's one scene in it in particular where it's really serious on De Niro um, and he's talking to some other detectives. And in the background, Pacino's like joking about, like he's almost doing the funky chicken in there as well. And it's really difficult to focus on what is kicking off in the foreground when the background is all Pacino joking about. And it happens again, (laughs) like when he's chatting up the two women who are sat on his motorcycle as well. So I was very surprised as to how much comedy is in here. Playfulness. Playfulness, Yeah. yeah. Considering it's meant to be a police procedural, I was really surprised. But I think to me, having seen Pacino and De Niro do interviews together and, you know, go on the, the promotional bandwagon for the Irishman, that's them too. That seems to be them too. Yeah. Off camera. And I, I kind of like that about it now. The only issue is that that stops very quickly about halfway through and suddenly it becomes this, well, I, I, this tired, boring cliche of a cop movie, and you go, where, 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 is this the same movie? Like, did I fall asleep for ten minutes? And I think that's the yeah, issue. I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's that's that's what I mean about the disorientation of some of the characterization too, because you're like, what is this movie? Like, you can tell that it's trying to be. It's trying to have its heat cake and eat it too. And you can tell that it's trying to be maybe a little bit like the yards, you know, cause that was obviously a movie that had come out around this time. It's trying to be a little bit like get back to that gritty New York, James Gray kind of deal where there's like a bit of a twisty thriller in there. Um, it's in some moments got this absolute freaking, I don't even know how to say like bizarre bad news bears vibes. And you're like, what is this movie? What are we? He's got a storyline about his daughter and his daughter and Rooster. And who's Rooster? Is it Rooster of Al Pacino? It's like, this is the thing from like just preliminary reactions is like the jolts in it are silences, are gestures, are just letting these two guys who've got a deep and abiding relationship together, either on screen or reputationally that we imagine we project a relationship between them, whether it's a hostile relationship that you might project between them or whether it's like a candid loving relationship between them. And you know, it's really fascinating. And I, I, I'll i say this, and I will only say this in reference to the mastery of heat is that 
I think the truth of it, Mark, is that what's scarily good and scarily great about Michael Mann casting these two guys is it's they're the closest allegories to who these guys are in real life at that time in their lives. Mm. Al is way more theatrical. He wants to cook. Robert De Niro is the guy who wants to be laser focused and couched in all of this drivel in the, in, in probably UK slang <laughs> couched in all this drivel is some really good, genuinely interesting actors, interesting performances, interesting stuff. Things just slide by like whole conversations. Hey, I used to play basketball up here you know, yeah, you don't come up here anymore because, you know, you don't look like me. Like, it's like, oh yeah, cool. Race exists. Great. And it's ignored. There we go. And we're <laughs> on to the next thing. And so it's like, New York is a melting pot. It's interesting. It's co- like the, the culture is so diverse and fascinating one block to the next. Um, and it had so many opportunities to do that. And it just kind of didn't really have an identity. It's like, oh, we'll shoot it in New York because it's these guys and we'll do this because it's these guys. And it just didn't feel like it had anything to say. Think about movies that Pacino's been in that have been shot in New York. You know, you're talking about Dog Day Afternoon. You're talking about Serpico. You're talking about Sea of Love. Just off the top of my head, uh, Panic in Needle Park as well. Those all show New York in very different lights, but at the same time work perfectly within the context of those movies. And realistically, this could have done that, maybe. Of course. But yeah, like I, I think at that, at that time, James Gray was the guy. That was his wheelhouse he's making like like at that time i just want to sort of suss out the years so righteous kill i, I mean it doesn't double check this it doesn't help that obviously they decided to film it in connecticut rather than on the yeah. streets of new york i mean that's that's also, that's, that's helping nobody to feel it's, like it's, you're it's, on the streets yeah, so it's kind of like it's having its cake and eating it too. It's shooting in Connecticut just out. It's probably a little bit cheaper, but then when they come into like different parts, like, you know, literally I feel like I've been past those basketball courts, you know, in Brooklyn that, you know, De Niro's character jogs by by the ending. Like, he doesn't jog. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, and, and so, but, you know, you look at James Gray. Oh, look at this. So 2000 is the yards, which is t- – Absolutely sensational. Mm. We own the night, 2007. Again, fantastic. That kind of period. And then he goes off and does Two Lovers and The Immigrant. And so they kind of move and then Lost City of Z. And then he's all over the shop and then back to Arbangad in time in 2022. Um, But when I look at something like The Yards and We Own the Night, I'm like, man, this is a guy who's like in it. He's making these movies. He's right here. And then just around this time, so that's 2008, and then there's another like Stone Cold classic, 2006, Spike Lee adapt, you know, uh, directs Russell Gowitz's script, Inside Man, one of my favorite heist movies, a movie that adores a Pacino movie, um, yeah. Dog Day. Like it's like, it's a big, like we're in the same universe, even as stunt casts one of the hostages as, as a teller from the original bank. And so like, it feels like there was an uh, there is a reinvigorated energy to bring cinema back to New York city after nine 11. And it felt like they were still trying to tell interesting tales about New York identity. And this movie had such an opportunity and you've got two guys who are literally stalwarts of New York city. And you know, it's uh, the, the, the way I feel about righteous kill is the way I feel about the, the star Wars movie solo. I'm like a movie that has Han Solo, Lando Calrissian, Chewbacca, and the Millennium Falcon should start with four stars. Yeah. And so if the movie is bad, 
it's so catastrophic, catastrophically bad that you made me not like my four favorite things <laughs> in my life that are in my movie loving DNA, you know? It's, it's, so, it's, it's difficult. This is the thing. It's interesting you mentioned there the writer, Russell uh, Jewerts, who I interviewed for my Pacino book. And I think what shocked me the most was, you know, he was talking about how it got made and the fact that Inside Man came first and that was a very big hit. And, you know, off the that, that's his first movie. That was his first script. And he gets somebody as big as Denzel Washington in the movie. Yeah. And then the second movie he makes gets Pacino and De Niro in it. Bang. Yeah, exactly. And you're thinking, okay, well, this guy's clearly got the Midas touch here. And then when I said to him about it, I said, you know, the, the film received a really bad, well, across the board, bad reviews from critics. Were you disappointed with it? And he said, no, I was really disappointed with the film. So I was like, okay, but why? And he said the script that he had written was very complex and it was very precise. Lots of little hints and clues that would lead you to the twist, basically. Yes. And all of that disappeared. All of that was taken out because he wasn't as heavily involved as possibly what he wanted to be. Um, so I you've think... got to imagine, you've got to imagine, right? So you've got here, it's directed by John Avnet, who just quickly. Well, he's a Taking safe a look pair of like, hands. Extremely safe, but his real banger work is 80s, 90s. You know, he does he, his top four on IMDb right now, like Fried Grain Tomatoes. Me mm. and all mothers have seen that movie. Not many others. <laughs> yes. Like he produced Risky Business. He produced Black Swan. So he's been a producer, but as a director. And then, you know, he, he recently directed an episode of Justified Prime Evil. I think that's a perfect movie for his kind of wheelhouse, you know, as a, as a, a journeyman director, mm. um, up close and personal, which is a decent movie, red corner. All of these are like fringe movies. Whereas you get a, if, if you're a writer, um, if you're a writer, like, uh, sorry, I, I, sorry, I pronounced that wrong. It was Russell Jewerts and Spike Lee, who is also a, an amazing writer, but when Spike Lee makes a movie, he makes the living shit out of that movie. Like his yeah. directorial eye is so identifiable. He has a whole bunch of tools in his kit bag that we get to see and relish and enjoy. And people know what it is. And he is such a student and avid lover of cinema and particularly the New York state of mind in film that it's like he elevated what is absolutely a run-of-the-mill entertaining movie that's fine and that's great in any other pe person's hands, but you put it in his hands and he's like, we are going to get phenomenal actors. I am going to get phenomenal performances. I'm going to play with the twist to perfection. I'm going to cast Jodie freaking Foster and Chris Plummer and Denzel and just all these absolutely ludicrously great actors and put them all together. And I'm going to shoot in New York city and it's going to be a love letter to Lumet. And it's also going to be very deeply mine. And that's a, a success on a level that is just like, it, it has no right to be as good as it is, but yeah. Spike Lee directed it. There's a twist here, which if you are of 
you know, even if you've only seen 10 crime films, <laughs> you would watch the opening moments of this movie and go, well, I know who's done it. Turn it off. Yeah. That's the issue. Like it, it's telegraphing you from minute one who the killer is. Yeah. And you go, and I was, I, I was actually, I tricked myself into believing that it was De Niro's character. The, the I, I, I was, I actively tricked myself. I'm like, it's him. Isn't it going to be interesting when he turns out to be this solitary high level thinker that's trying to, I don't know, use poetry to maybe drag his partner down. Ooh, this could be, and then it's like, nah, we're just going to do a stock standard twist and pretend like we don't know it. That's the thing is that for many film lovers, like ourselves, you watch it and you go, listen, you're not tricking me. I know what's going on here. And you start to double doubt yourself and you're going, I've got it. Of course, of course it's De Niro. Of course, they're just trying to trick me. And then when it comes and you go, oh, that's some basic shit. Yeah. Like, like to a point where I'm like, why would anybody look at that and go, this is the way we need to play this out? And I think that's possibly Jewett's issue with the movie is as he said it was a lot more complex it was a lot more nuanced and then all of that is stripped away and you're left with this movie that is a standard police procedural that if it was on tv late afternoon you might watch it you might not but you're literally not going to go well obviously loads of people did at the time they're going to go Pacino De Niro in a movie together this is only the second time they've done this since Heat remember Heat wasn't that amazing right let's go and see it see the problem is at also at the time when you make when you're in the Godfather part two maybe the best American movie ever made and then you're in Heat maybe the best heist movie ever made I would argue one of the best American movies ever made but Let's just say it's one of the best crime movies ever made. Mm -hmm. Whatever you make third has some pretty high expectations on whatever that is. Sorry. It's just like, you have to be ready. Yeah. There's a reason that the next thing these guys did together was with Martin Scorsese. You've got to look at recent years, Pacino stuff. He's been working with Barry Levinson and making TV movies. Now, 20 years ago, TV movie was TV movie was two words that somebody of his stature would be like, I don't think so. But now <laughs> him and Levinson are making, you know, Phil Spector, Paterno. Um, obviously, he's he's done Hunters as well recently as well. And what's happening with these is they're being left alone because they're going, we're making it for a small amount of money. We've yeah. got Pacino. We've got Barry Levinson. Them two know each other. You know, they're like hand and glove. And they're put, you're putting these movies out that are at the end of their run being nominated for Emmys or being nominated yeah. for all of these things. And I think that's the thing is that you get... It, it looks like Pacino's dumbing down, but realistically, he's not. He's finding the material. And as you said, yeah. it's about having time to understand the characters. And that's what Pacino likes, is he likes a lot of rehearsal time. Righteous Kill, I don't know how much rehearsal time there was. I can imagine probably not a lot at all, because they probably just went, you know the character. He's a grizzled cop who's 
on the way out of you've played yeah. this 400 times exactly Just, this you is were serpico thing. get on with it exactly <laughs> listen do serpico but you're a bit older and now you've got a friend in the department as well who's <laughs> who's got this weird name he's called turk and you're called rooster you know it's it's strange and it makes no and it makes no sense because your actual names are some other things that i don't remember and i watched the movie today <laughs> I just want to let everyone know I watched it today for this. I think the thing and is, I, well, and I, I have no clue. I've got to mention this as well is there's always this thing that goes around that people say, look, film critics have no influence on movies and moviegoers or anything else like that. It's a guide. And I do agree with that is that, you know, I know that my review of Transformers or whatever else is not going to stop people going to see it. It's always a guide. That's the thing. However, with Righteous Kill, there was a, a screening of it for the general public who had to sign NDAs, but there was a couple of critics who snuck in. This is February 2008, so several months before it's coming out. A couple of critics. Bless their hearts. A couple of cricket, critics sneak in. Reviews in, in, Austra in Australia, sometimes, folks, just to get really inside baseball, if they give you a ticket at a film fest, I've been to film festivals before where they give you a ticket. And so they go, okay, if we're going to give you a ticket, you have to sign a, um, like you have to sign basically an agreement, an embargo that mm -hmm. says you're not allowed to review it. And I'm like, but you've got the public at this screening. They can just go home and review it. And they're like, yeah, but you can't. I'm like, well, I'll just pay for the ticket. Yeah. But that and, happens and, here. and then I'll, and then I'll reveal. So yeah. that well, happens what... here as well. But this, these screenings were pre-release and where they can still tweak the film a little bit, you know, the, so you have afterwards, they would normally have like a chat. They would get a few people in a circle. You always had to fill out a form. I remember, cause I used to go to these as well. Um, and what happened was the responses were so bad from those forms and also a couple of reviews appeared online even though they shouldn't have done the day after that was scathing so much that basically they went back and they trimmed it from two hours to a hundred minutes and even then we watch this movie and we go seems a bit long <laughs> yeah like, it, it just a... seems long yeah it's like get on with it yeah. Get on with it. I'm bored. Get yeah. on with it. Like, give us you know, the first with... 40 minutes, which is jokey, and it's them two playing off each other. You know, me and you are big fans of that. The rest of it, can we fast how, forward? You know, what what, what can how, we set it on? How many times have you watched The Godfather Part 2? How many times? I, I Listen, I don't know. Hey, how many it's times a... have you watched Heat? I could, if I was to be conservative, it's for me, it's plus 200. Yeah. And that movie's 166 minutes pre-credits or 166 and a half, if you really want to get specific. So nearly three hours, and I've watched it 200 times conservatively. And yet a movie that's 100 minute, minutes for movies that we've just described that are all vastly longer, we're like, come on, like, be, engage me. I'm here to be enthralled and excited Sometimes it can be the conditions, you know, I, I, the first time I saw Mission Impossible, sometimes you might do this too. You go to a critic screening. Critics screening stink. Critics are stupid, um, mostly just because when they get in a room together, they don't want to laugh and they don't want to have fun. And 
a movie experience is not, should not be that. It should be with people who are just genuinely there and open to any experience that's happening on the screen. But yeah, this, it's a movie that stars our guys, my man. Like, and even down the call sheet, there are still other members of my, like I love John Leguizamo. Unabashedly, he's a fantastic actor. So rarely utilized correctly. And when he is, he's so magnetic and fantastic. Carla Gugino, again, another actor, rarely used correctly when she is completely magnetic. And you're like, why couldn't she have been in the like Ashley Judd, Julia Roberts kind of tier of actors getting huge roles? Why couldn't she? There's no reason. She just probably wasn't a draw because she was never utilized in the right way or never did a an Aaron Brockovich with a Soderbergh or, or never got to do her own kiss the girls like an Ashley Judd. Like it just didn't happen. And, but and Brian Dennehy, like, oh my God, of course, like makes sense. Brian Dennehy, great actor, a Michael Mann actor as well, a legend. Um, Curtis Jackson is in the movie and um, he plays Spider because the name 50 Cent wasn't cool enough. Um, and he plays like a gangster named Spider who uh, runs a club in Harlem. It used to be a po post office and is a nightclub. And in that club, he's dealing drugs under the table, et cetera. And there's a moment where there's a rapper in the club and there's like two dancers and the dancing is bad. It's really bad and not sexy and awful. And you're like, how did you get two women, two beautiful African-American women who there's like the two of them that can't dance in the whole of New York city. What are we doing? And it's so overly lit. It looks like a Maisel been in a classroom at high school like that's how light everything is it's like this isn't a nightclub like turn the lights down you've got strobes but you can't see them um so it's just really overly lit gross thing it's like god like take a lesson from a john wick club for christ's sake like it's just yeah it's not good it like this the filmmaking and, and you can just see it you can see that this thing had a tremendous amount of potential and on the page two of the biggest actors who've ever lived looked at it and thought that there was something there and then clearly got in and they probably performed the house down, you know, on the cutting room floor, there may have been the movie, you know, the movie that they thought they were making. I think I hesitate to say that this movie is DOA dead on arrival because <laughs> me and you have both suggested that there are fleeting glimpses in here that could be worthwhile watching on their own. If we edited it down, it'd probably be about 20 minutes, but Hey, internet. Well, it's true. Listen, I'm not going to do if it. A, no, I'm listen, not going to do it either, but just this do, is the do thing. a highlight reel. <laughs> a highlight reel of just Al's quieter moments in this movie. Some real good stuff. There's a real, there's a show reel in the movie. Of there Al, is. I agree. But there's also a show reel in this movie that nobody wants to see. And yet everybody talks about. <laughs> and very quickly, we've got to talk about it. And that is Curtis Jackson, 50 Cent, death scene. Which has been lampooned almost as much as Pacino's Dunkachino advert. When you saw this, did you think it was real? The only reaction I had, I was like, huh? Uh, like I literally was like, what? Because not only is like everything's bad about it. If you're going to gun down someone with their back to you, it's so hard to talk about this movie because you want to try and like, you want to try and do that thing where you're like, because you have sort of an encyclopedic memory of images of the way that these shots have been constructed in other and much better movies. You're like, you want to have a moment where like time slows down and 
you know, you see Pacino in focus, lifting his hand up and the gun comes to the back of 50 cents head. And then the rack focuses to his face. Cause he's just calmly reaching towards the fridge. And then like his eye blows out of his head. And then in a super hyper stylized dramatic way, like, you know, one of my favorite shots in Django Unchained is this, he's like, say goodbye. And <laughs> he says, say bye. And he goes, bye. And then he shoots the, the Calvin Candy's sister and she flies out of the room. One of the greatest shots of all time. Um, and I'm like, that's a more serious movie. That's a hyper stylized action in it. But it's like, you want to give the chance for the actors to reveal or even just like slowly dawning over that he's actually the bad guy, even though it hasn't buried the lead at all. And he does that. And then he flies through the window, panes of glass, flying down, dead body, you know, arching down to the ground, hits the ground. You know, you can totally see like with a reconstruction, with a discussion about what's the emotion in this moment, what are we going to do? But the POV is off. You're seeing it from like a weird halfway in like a door frame where Pacino's in Pacino's in the deep background in this poorly lit scene. He j does this lunging kind of weird jump to get his gun up and a stunt man just swan dies out the window. And you're like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Like he doesn't even hit the window, go through the window and like crumble down in like an unceremonious, like devastating way where like this guy, this black man is getting shot by an old white cop, which is not fun in movies. As a rule, there's nothing like, there's no power structure, power struggle. There's all these inferences that you can feel like on the page, you know, spider reaches for the fridge. Bruce's face glazes over. He raises his gun. Like you can almost, you can always read like what it is. And that's the difference between good and or great filmmakers and filmmakers who don't have that kind of real stylistic vision or like maybe have run out of the budget to do it, or maybe they didn't like the cut or whatever, but it just the dumbest. It's one of the dumbest deaths I've ever seen in a movie, in a movie where he doesn't act well. And that's not yes. an offense to him. He's turned into quite an accomplished, solid TV actor who kind of just performs in roles that he's very good in and very capable. And I also think it's a really, it's a really shit cop out for filmmakers um, to get slandered and particularly like actors to get slandered of like, Oh, that's kind of, you know, they kind of stay in their wheelhouse. It's like, so what you don't like John Wick, shut up. You don't like Ethan Hunt. Get out of here. Like well, they're getting paid. Yeah. And also a, they're getting paid, but B what the fuck do you want Keanu to do? Like leave him. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger at the peak of his powers. It's like, what do I want to see him in? Yeah. Like occasionally he's fantastic. He's funny. True lies. Love it. But also I'm happy with Predator any day of the week. What about Terminator? If I turn, well, if I turn around to you and say, I'll recommend a couple of uh, romantic comedies starring Al Pacino. Look at your face. Already, your face has gone. Uh, okay. But sure. Uh, sure. But, but Mark, your book, which I have read, it's like, nah, I'm going to go that give me the greatest hits. I want Dog Day. I want Godfather. I think The Godfather 2 might be the best performance of his entire career and maybe one of the best American performances ever in the history of cinema. I'm going to go to Heat. Hell, I'm going to go to the fucking Irishman because it rules. He's amazing as Jimmy Hoffa. He's Agreed. amazing as Jimmy yep. Hoffa. Like as a, as a late career, complete outlandishly phenomenal performance. 
I'm going to go to things like insomnia. I'm going to go, I, I want to go back and see the Lumet stuff. I like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? I'll even watch Ocean 13 any day of the week. Super fun movie. And he's super fun in it. Like, keep your romantic. Just keep it. I don't need it. There's enough other actors. Get someone else. See, We're and I would, I would say to you, I'll, I'll lend you the DVD of the film where he romances Michelle Pfeiffer. And you'll go, what, Scarface? And I'll say, no, Frankie and Johnny. No, and I'm like, good. Yeah, it's I'm fine. I'm fine. You see, now the I'm thing okay. is, you're talking about the greatest hits. I think we can absolutely, both of us, say that this is not one of the great hits of Pacino or De Niro or um, anybody else in this at all. But just to sort of wrap up, have you got any inclination to go back and watch this at any point? I would totally watch, if there was a highlight reel of Pacino, I would totally watch it again. <laughs> Honestly, I would. And, and maybe on like, skip like having you know i think if folks have got an apple tv or you've got like something that like kind of you can navigate through easily i would totally watch that because genuinely either you and i've talked about it or i've talked about it many times you know christopher nolan huge fan of heat maybe as big as you and i um made the dark knight in heat's image yep um one of the you know if not the best american superhero movie one of and he's made kind of two of the two of the top five um, and I, by that, I mean, Dark Knight Rises, argue with me at your peril. He made Insomnia, which I think is totally like his unauthorized heat sequel. Um, cause he wanted to see what would happen with Vincent Hanna when he no longer had formidable foes and, and, yeah. and, and, and lost his moral compass. Cause that's more of a Christopher Nolan bag. He loves characters who lie to themselves. Um, and I love him in Insomnia. I think he's absolutely fantastic in the insider. Oh my God. One of my mm. favorite movies, whenever it's on, I'm like, this is the best movie ever made. Um, and there's a quiet, there's a kind of, um, more seventies, late sixties, early seventies, Pacino refrain in some of those performances in that early aughts period, um, late nineties, early aughts period where he kind of, He's not just going to the reflexive things that we know he does so spectacularly well and operatic. He's doing that. And I truly think that there's some fleeting moments of that in this movie. And you can totally see on the page you, or you feel like it's on the page that, that this is the movie they wanted. But, you know, you went through quite a list there of Pacino movies and I'm going to leave you with one question now, which is what's your favorite Al Pacino movie? That's absolutely heat. Yeah, it has to be has to be my favorite and then with a, in a um in like a car crash i don't know if you've seen that moment in the simpsons and this is because i'm from australia so everyone who's listening can obviously hear that i'm from australia but you know the simpsons was a staple there's a moment where monty burns gets all the diseases that are available to the human body and they all jam in a door jam and they get stuck together. And that's the only reason that he's alive is that all the diseases have tried to attack his body at the same time. And the fact that they're all stuck trying to kill him, they can't. And I, so that's exactly how I feel is like, I feel like heat is my absolute favorite because it's just my most undeniable movie. I think he's absolutely sensational in it. And it's my favorite movie of all time. So I couldn't answer anything other than that genuinely because it's just wrong. Cause I've seen it. It's the movie I've seen the most of his. However, very, very, very close by that is the godfather both part one and two the and the insider they'd probably be my my next cabs off the rank very 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 close by and 
Yeah, I think that'd have to be the next three. Those three just simultaneously pushing together so quickly that I couldn't, I genuinely on the day, I'll give you a different answer as what is my second favorite Pacino every single time. Blake Howard talking about watching Righteous Kill for the first time. I was quite shocked when he told me he'd never seen it before, but then I was even more shocked when he didn't hate it. Blake makes some interesting points about the film, and I agree with him about the first half with Pacino having a damn good time. I also agree with him about the second half of the film being a pretty cliched and standard cop movie that doesn't do anything of note. I think it's more that the film, as a whole, is really disappointing considering the talent in front of the camera. But then, not just Blake and I were disappointed in the film, so too was the writer Russell G. Wirtz. I interviewed him for my Al Pacino book and he said he was really disappointed in the movie. He was not pleased with the end product. He even went into great depth as to why and explained in detail a specific scene that was changed and how that removed any of the drama that he had originally written. Russell gave a really honest interview for my book, and revisiting the film for this episode of the podcast just brought to light how sidelined slash changed his original work was for the film. But my thanks to Blake for coming on this episode of the podcast and discussing Righteous Kill. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback, then please do get in touch. You can find me on X, aka Twitter, on Instagram and on Blue Sky or you can contact me via my website, markcearby.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for all future episodes. Until next time. Mm -hmm.